Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. Before we start, um, did you hit that little <laughs> record button? We are recording this time. <laughs> As opposed to two weeks ago. Yeah. It's all right. I shouldn't blame we, you. We really only missed like one week because the week before <laughs> last, we actually did a show, but it was a special show just for me and Julie <laughs> because I forgot to hit the record button. So, in all fairness, the show is really for you and me. It is. And it's for our own enjoyment. We just have a few voyeurs. That's it. We have fans. We, fans. we love our fans. Thank you guys. Thank you for listening and tweeting at us. It makes us feel, you know, like we. it makes us feel seen as the, the kids say. Do they say that, Liz? I don't Do they know. Really? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. So um, what is going on this Should we week? start with some 80s news or just yes. go right to the, okay. So on this week in 1986, such a great year, year I graduated from high school, Top Gun was the number one film at the box office. Did you see the the new version? Oh my gosh, the I've new seen version. the new version. I saw it, I think I saw it three times. So well, when it came out, I saw it in Vegas with my mom and I came back. And I was like told Ace, I'm like, you, you, who, who's very picky about movies. Um, I was like, no, 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 we've got to see this. It's so good. And we saw it in IMAX. We went out to the Air and Space Museum out in Dulles and they have an IMAX theater there. It's a big museum. So then it was super cool. And then we looked at all the planes, but then we went to go see it in IMAX and it was just amazing. It was the, it was great. It was a great movie. Um, I think it's the first time in I don't know how many years where I haven't left the theater like angry, you know, like <laughs> I want my money back. <laughs> like What a waste. Right. So. Yeah, it was it was good. I only saw it once. We saw it at home. And uh, my husband, John, and I were watching it. And he kept looking at me. He's like, OK, when are you going to say how cheesy this is? Like, what are you waiting for? I'm like, well, I don't want to spoil it for you. I know you were so excited <laughs> to see it. Well, it definitely I had guess, a big cheese factor, but it, it, it was good nostalgia. It was it was definitely I felt like it was such a deviation from the usual fare coming out of Hollywood that I was just so grateful not to be lectured about with a teachable moment that with some social justice effort. Um, yeah, when your expectations movie. are basically really low. Don't piss me off enough where I have to walk out <laughs> yeah. after I spend $40 on ticket, a ticket and popcorn. I mean, yes, exactly. Yes. yes. Um, so 40 years ago this week, Liz, I'm sure you will remember the Motown 25th anniversary special where Michael Jackson did his moonwalk for the first time. <gasps> Oh, my gosh. Remember that? That was so iconic. Totally. That show, I think everyone, like, obviously, there was no on-demand. But you had yeah, to, like, I mean, record it and watch it over and over. With, on, like, a VHS, like, on a big VHS. And then you'd hit record with your finger. Because I don't even know if they had remote controls back then. <laughs> um, when you were in school, did you have people that dress like Michael Jackson? I don't remember if we did. I mean, there were a lot of Madonna dressers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might have been one. I think I wore <laughs> lace glove to my um, junior prom. Did you have the rubber bracelets, like all the black rubber bracelets mm -mm. and stuff? No, I don't think I did no? that. I didn't go that what far. What about you probably like a lace, big lace bow in your hair? Like, did you have that like headband, but it was like a lace bow? I didn't because the lace bow would never have made it out of my hair with the <laughs> curl and two gallons of Aquanet. It was cemented in your hair forever. <laughs> it, it's still <laughs> there 40 years later. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the good old days. 
Yeah. So Liz, um, I know we were just talking beforehand. It's been a pretty exhausting week in terms of keeping up with everything related to the corrupt partisan uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation and Department of Justice. There's been a lot happening this week on Capitol Hill and a couple of reports that have come out. So why don't you give us the overview? Well, the big news is that the Durham report, which maybe you don't remember because this was <laughs> this is two or three years ago, I is think, that, um, that Barr, the attorney general, the then attorney general of the United States, tasked a special counsel, uh, John Durham, right? Is his first name John? What? Who cares? Durham. Yes. Let's just call him Durham. Um to investigate the Russia collusion hoax. And we kept getting all of these sort of veiled hints. Oh, Durham's going to do this. And Durham's got that. And Durham's talking to this person over the many years. And finally, the report came out uh, two days ago, right? It came out Tuesday and, or Wednesday, you know, I I know it, it all bleeds together. And so that was a big deal. So we'd all been waiting for this report. And, you know, I have to say that I just don't think there's much in there that we all didn't know. Like some of us have been saying this stuff for like two years, basically, that the FBI had no real basis for starting the investigations on Trump they handled Trump in a much different way than they handled the Hillary Clinton problems that were going on at the same time. They were very careful. They they stayed hands off. They gave Hillary Clinton defensive briefings. And with Trump, they just anything went any literally anything. So this report kind of details all the stuff that m- many of us have been saying for forever since the very beginning. Um there's a lot of people whose names you know that refu- did not cooperate with uh, Durham. I'm Comey didn't talk to Durham, uh, McCabe, Strzok, Page, the usual. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't. But you know, basically, there's a lot of crime is outlined in this report. There was a lot of violations of civil liberties and of the law, and. Um, you know, at the end of the day, nothing's going to happen, right? Um, none of these people are going to be prosecuted. Um, you know, and that's, I find, very demoralizing for the public who is held to just a very different standard um, than these people that were running the FBI and the DOJ. Julie, were you, did you learn anything that you didn't know before the Durham report came out? I mean, I haven't had a chance to go through all of it, um, but follow the people who really did. And to your point, it's confirmed what other people have been reporting, what sort of came out in the Mueller report in 2018, what came out in the Horowitz, Michael Horowitz, the inspector general for the Department of Justice, his report in 2019 of FISA abuses um, and just independent reporting since then. But I will say all of us and continue to feel demoralized and we should, and the American people should at least right thinking ones that no one has been held criminally responsible. I mean, you know, I'm following these cases of seditious conspiracy brought by the DOJ against people who walked into a government building on January 6th. They've been convicted, their lives destroyed, but here was a legitimate example of seditious conspiracy attempting to, throw Donald Trump out of office, first prevent him from winning, winning the nomination, then when he did completely disable his cre- his presidency, Yeah, which, it, which the Mueller investigation successfully did for the first two years. I mean, he really was robbed of the first half of his term in office. We all were because he was elected. We, we elected him president. Um, well, so right. And the it, first two years of uh, something to note, the first two years of Trump's presidency is when the Republicans had both the Senate and House, at least technically. Right. right. So that's like when the president really can do as much as possible. Right. Because once you get in one of the 
when either the Senate or the House or both go over to the other party, you're basically just cock blocked, right? They can't you can't get anything through unless you're a Democrat and the Republicans are weak. So they always roll over. But theoretically, those should have been really powerful years for Trump, not to say that he would have taken advantage of it, but he you know, they really did damage him out of the gate. And so you're right. I mean, there's what's more serious than that? I mean, just because you don't like the way people voted and you don't like the person that somebody put in office, you're not allowed to use the power of government and exploit the trust that the people have put in in government to, you know, undo their quote electoral election mistake, if you will. Well, so. You know, the thing about Russia collusion is, and to your point, it took out two of his most powerful aides, and that was Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who recused himself, stupidly recused himself from any Russia collusion related investigations or issues, basically handing that office over to Rod Rosenstein, who signed one of the FISA warrants against Carter Page and, of course, appointed um, uh, he appointed Robert Mueller as special counsel and oversaw and managed that bogus investigation for two years before Bill Barr came in in 2019 and pulled the plug. And then, of course, successfully led to the ouster of Michael Flynn, his national security advisor. So you've got two pretty powerful advisors who, out of the gate, are taken off of Trump's team because of this hoax. Now, I will say one nugget. And I've reported on this for years and even people who followed it disputed my my claims here. But I'm going to take a minute to say I feel exonerated. And it relates to both Mike Flynn and Jeff Sessions. What came out in the report was Charles Dolan, who is the Clinton Democratic operative lackey. He was very close with Sergei Kislyak, the Russian ambassador. I've suspected for a long time that Kislyak was in on the Russia collusion hoax. All of a sudden, he was like the where's Waldo of Russia collusion, right? He's everywhere. He he pops up everywhere, this guy. So he's at, he meets with Jeff Sessions or they're at some event. And this later is how Democrats bully Jeff Sessions into recusing himself because Kislyak becomes like sort of the conduit, the imaginary conduit between the Trump campaign and And the Kremlin, except he wasn't, he was working with people like Charles Dolan and Susan Rice. He was in Obama's White House twice in October of 2016. He met with Charles Dolan a number of times. Who's the guy who calls Mike Flynn, desperately trying to call him uh, during December of 2016 and prompt some conversation about alleged sanctions? That was Sergey Kislyak. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, Kislyak called Flynn. Flynn was out of the country on vacation. Right. Right. So it was Kislyak that called Flynn. And then because Flynn was out of the country, the phone line kept dropping. So Kislyak just kept calling him back. So there was like a bunch of calls. Right. That I think to just, just to make sure that, you know what I mean? Like there was that record of phone calls. It was all it's very it was all very suspicious. And. None of it is really surprising now in retrospect. But I think at the time, people were so, like, it was so inconceivable that what happened could happen, right, back then. Um, just the when Trump got rid of Flynn, you know, he could have told them, fuck you. You know, I'm not, do, I'm not getting rid of Flynn. And there was nothing they could have done. They could have written more news stories or whatever and maybe had some. Well, they probably couldn't have done a congressional investigation, although Paul Ryan was running the House. So maybe so. And McConnell had the Senate. But it was so inconceivable that what what ended up happening could happen back then that nobody, at least in the very beginning, saw could could see how it was going to play out. I mean, it was so crazy. I mean, nobody at the time thought Kislyak was setting Flynn up, you know, back when Flynn, I mean, Flynn didn't even make it into the administration, right? I mean, he, he barely, he like immediately, right? In February, I think, or maybe March 1st or something. That was, I think he, he resigned um, 
February 14th or 15th of 2017. So barely, you know, a month in. And of course, that followed the ambush by Peter Strzok. Jim Comey ordered him to go ambush Mike Flynn in the White House at the end of January 2017, pretending they were getting information about his contacts with Kislyak or the Kremlin. So Flynn is coughing it up, thinking he's helping them. Um, Jim Comey bragged about that later, how he circumvented normal protocol between the FBI and any administration to ambush Flynn. Then that was sort of now it already had been leaked. The conversation, the general conversation had already been leaked to David Ignatius, who posted that column. in I think it was January 10th. Of Which was a criminal leak, by the way. That's like a, a conversation. Right. That conversation, it was highly classified. That's like, right. Highly classified. So that leak was just insanely criminal. But of course, alas, it was as as so many other leaks. It was uh, you know just n- n- no no follow up on that. And the no accusation fo- then was that Flynn violated the Logan Act, which was sort of con- Sally Yates, the acting attorney general. She um she didn't. She didn't come up with that. She's pretty stupid. Someone else came up with this Logan Act. I'm suspecting it was Obama or maybe Eric Holder, Susan Rice or someone like that. And so that started. That was how that whole leak operation smear campaign started against Flynn. Um, And then Sally Yates went to um, Trump's attorney at the time. Can't think of his name anyway. But the basis was then that he lied to Mike Pence. And it just became a convoluted thing. Anyway, Trump bailed on Flynn, which he shouldn't have, but he did. Um, he also should have probably just forced Jeff Sessions to resign instead of putting him out to pasture Recuse. and letting Rod Rosenstein run the yeah. DOJ and Obama appointee. He was U.S. attorney for Maryland, I believe. And then he ran the DOJ. Um, so a lot of mistakes made, but. It's easy kind of looking back because at the time, this was all anyone was talking about in Washington and in the media. Again, like I I go back and I remember at that point in time, you know, who would have thought that what we you that what we found out would be what we found out? I mean, that it was just so crazy to think that the intelligence community was basically trying to overthrow an elected president of the United States. Who would have thought that and who would have seen those things um, as anything other than just like political maneuvering, right? Like your typical, you know, partisan fighting, you know, try to get rid of Jeff Sessions. And the left always hates Jeff, hated Jeff Sessions anyway um, before this. So who I mean, I know when that was happening, I was like, oh, they just don't like him because, you know, well, they don't like white men from the South for sure. Um, and Sessions is a super hardcore conservative. So another reason who would have thought that there was this much larger plot being executed, you know, under our, our noses. And it's a good time to with the Durham report to remind people that I think this 702 law needs to get reviewed. I think FISA is coming up again for renewal. And when we renew these things and when we give the government access to this data and information and this authority, you know, we were promised that there are these guardrails in place so that it wouldn't be abused. And now we know that's a lie, right? Like when when the elected officials in Congress start talking this up, when it, you know, when it's going to come time again to renew it, they're going to start talking it up. You cannot believe anything. There is no safe. There are no protections. They will not protect you. They are not interested in protecting your civil liberties, even though they'll say that and it'll be baked in the law. And then you'll see how in practice it just doesn't happen. So, you know, I I'm against the renewal. I've I'm always been against it from the very beginning, the Patriot Act, all that. So we we learn really that you can't believe any any of these government agencies will actively protect your your civil liberties and that they will observe the guardrails that are allegedly in place to protect American citizens. So don't don't believe it. Don't buy into it when it happens. Well, I hate to say it's already outdated. 
I mean, the FISA, it's already moot because as I've learned from covering January 6th, and this came up in Thursday's weaponization committee hearing. Um, and of course we learned this from the Twitter files and the yeah. lawsuit against um, the administration and others for colluding between the FBI and other federal agencies and, and big tech to suppress certain information or spy on people. So, Corporate America is already working with the FBI and other agencies, DHS, to hand over whatever they want. For example, and we'll get into more details, this came out today in the hearing, and then the new report from House Weaponization Committee on the whistleblowers who have stepped forward. And I urge people to at least watch part of the hearing or read some of this report, is that, and we've known this, is that Bank of America, and this is just one financial institution who's done this, willingly forked over, right? I mean, like the afternoon probably of January 6, 2021, willingly turned over private customer data to the FBI to track down who had used Bank of America, you know, financial tools, card, whatever, uh, to travel to D.C., to stay in D.C., fly there, fly home. Or, just, or just go into D.C. and buy a coffee with your Bank of America debit card. Like yeah, any financial cash. transaction, any right. financial transaction in D.C. using a Bank of America. And, of course, no subpoena necessary. You know, I mean. Right. You know, the, the, and and I think we didn't we talk about this when we interviewed George Hill on our podcast a couple months ago, who was also a whistleblower. Yeah. Um, he was talking about we we talked a little bit about this back then. That's just one company. You know, if you don't think Verizon or any of these other companies are doing the same thing, and of course they all have business in front of the government. I mean, That's I think right. it was um, Tom Massey in the hearing today that pointed out that, you know, Bank of America spends hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to lobby Congress, at least. you know, so yes. it's just really very dirty situation. So you well, are right. Google like. They got a geofence warrant. I don't even think they actually got the warrant. I think Google just turned over yeah. all cell phone data to the government, to the FBI, about cell phone users tracking them. Uh, so it happened then. Google turns over all the cell phone numbers, the data from their uh, that warrant or whatever you wanted to call a pretend warrant. And then, to your point, other cell phone providers will, so then they match up cell phone numbers with email accounts. They match up cell phone numbers with social media accounts, which Facebook also cooperated in doing that because, of course, a lot of this evidence was taken off of Facebook pages, DM, messages, posts, etc. So they're all working together to investigate and eventually then give evidence to help the government prosecute January 6ers or Trump support or whoever it is. So FISA in a way, what, uh, what worst thing are you going to do then? <laughs> you know, what Bank of America and, and Verizon and Google and Facebook are already doing. Well, that's, that's absolutely true. Or Comcast or any of your internet service providers at home, anyone where you get email, um, any your internet service provider has your your internet history right they have that they know what you're searching what you're posting i mean mm -hmm. it's it's really i mean that is really a good point and i think that the twitter files really drove that home that there is just like this hyper cooperation i mean even the twitter people from the twitter files were like a little hesitant about some of this stuff and knew that the feds were being insane especially when they were just they decided a bunch of accounts were Russian disinformation, but they weren't um, internally. They were like, well, this is kind of crazy or this uh, this doesn't sit right with me. But they they went along anyway. You know what I mean? They didn't just put their foot down and say, look, this is we're not doing this because it's crazy or no, this is wrong. They went along with it. So there's really no guy. There's no guardrails really at all. And of course, all these people who did use a Bank of America card, whether it was to travel to D.C., to buy a lunch in D.C. or whatever, these people, that is not that is not, um, you know, sufficient evidence, right, to, to start a criminal investigation. That's not that doesn't meet any threshold of of 
an to to open an investigation or to start to start you know targeting people just because they bought a ticket to I don't know DC to Baltimore who knows how how right detailed they they did <clears throat> so just very very corrupt I mean corrupt and they're dangerous and what came out by these three whistleblowers today um it is shocking and heartbreaking in many ways and absolutely sickening. So it's not just that the FBI is using all of its power and authority to crush political dissent among Trump's supporters. They are doing the same with their own agents. Um, and they had um, three whistleblowers and their attorneys speak before this weaponization committee hearing today. And um, one of them, his name is Garrett O'Boyle. And apparently he was let go, fired, humiliated, forced to move. It sounded like I'm still trying to get all the details here. He was forced to move with a two week old baby and then three older children, but still little. They they transferred him. What they did is they transferred him. And so he packed up and moved. And then the day before he was supposed to start his new like, you know, in the new place, they like they they like fired him or pun I can't I don't remember what the term was <clears throat> so he had moved his stuff was in storage they like suspended him yes yeah Unseated they suspended him so suspension he was in this limbo where they didn't pay him he can't get another job all of his his property was in storage the FBI wouldn't release it for at least a couple months um it was really it was really suspicious you know, it was very, um, cl- I mean, it it looked really like retaliation. Um, and the retaliation was because he was sharing, our, well, he was investigating. He was out of the um, Charlotte. There were a couple, they were from different offices. But he was out of the, excuse me, Kansas City FBI field office. And every single field office is investigating January 6th. And what they're doing is they're using these individual charges, prosecutions, complaints um, to bolster this phony, to bolster phony data related to domestic violent extremism, which Christopher Ray and the Biden regime say is like a top threat to the country. So if you're arrested for parading in the Capitol and it has to do with January 6th, with Chris, which Christopher Ray says is a domestic terror attack, then you by default are a domestic violent extremist. And that's how they are cooking the books on that. Um, so apparently, and I just want to make sure that I get this, this correct. Um, I think that he was sharing um emails or it, it might have even been one of Darren Beatty's revolver pieces. Anyway, he was taking credit for it on Twitter. And maybe you got confirmation on that list that um, to sort of warn other offices that there were FBI informants, confidential human sources in the crowd on January 6th. And if you're looking at videos or you're looking at photographs, you know, to be aware that this is what's happening. And Apparently, the FBI was very alarmed by this, not because it's untrue, because, of course, it's absolutely 100 percent true, according to the DOJ and FBI. (laughs) They've confirmed this. I mean, we know that there were confidential human sources involved, especially in the Proud Boys, months before January 6th. So it's not like he was making it up. Um, But the mere fact that he shared these articles and alerted, um, they said that it was contrary to the official narrative of January 6th. And that is what sort of prompted his removal, his suspension, which he's still suspended, but he gave a really that heartbreaking story about what's happened to his family. And these guys still cannot find jobs because I guess they have to be formally released by the FBI to find other employment. Well, and plus their, um, their security clearances are suspended. And so a lot of people that have security clearances get jobs outside the government with government contractors that require security clearances. It's like a huge, it's a huge asset when you're out looking for a job because, you know, there's not, not everybody has a really high level of, of security clearance. Um, I think I'm trying to, I, I, 
unfortunately during the hearing today, because there was a hearing with these with these gentlemen, um, we didn't get to hear too much of what their stories were because the Democrats just kind of yelled at them and basically said that they were fired because they were sympathetic to J- January 6th, which wasn't true. And they didn't really get to elaborate a lot of the details about what exactly they were objecting to um, or what what was the what what how the process started that they would then get, you know, suspended from the FBI um, and their security clearance held up. But one point I think that was really interesting. I can't remember which I think it which um, it wasn't Allen, but it was and not um, the one you were talking about. But the other one <laughs> who's friend, Steve Friend, Steve Friend, yeah, how he had been taken off of like actual cases that we think that what the FBI should be doing, right? Going after human sex trafficking, pedophiles, murders, like just really serious crimes that he had been taken off of that, those crimes and not, they haven't been reassigned, right? So he could spend time on January 6th. And just to go back to your point, Julie, um, was it O'Malley? Was that his name? O'Malley. Alan, and I messed that up. It was this, um, because we're recording this right after this report and the hearings were kind of scrambling a little bit, but it was, go ahead. He was making the point, this O, his name starts with an O, like O, O apostrophe something, um, made the point that, I think that was his point, is that the way the FBI was spreading these out to the field offices around that they made it look like there were these independent extremist events going on all over the country when <clears throat> traditionally this would all be one event, right? Like it would, that's right. Th- that it would just be one thing, but now they can say, well, no, we have 2,500 domestic violent extremist cases all over the country when it, it really is just the January 6th event. So, you know, that, and it, Again, I can't remember if it was him or someone else, one of these other witnesses that was talking about the incentives that the FBI gives to these agents, which really is kind of alarming where you get bonuses or you get Scooby snacks, you know, the more confidential human sources you use or the more FISA warrants you apply for or the more cases that you're pursuing. So it's not a question of, you know, going after what's out there it's that you're almost incentivized to you know exploit the system for your professional benefit which is kind of disgusting i mean again these are things that the american public isn't aware of you know a lot of people have this tradition or they they look at the fbi traditionally like oh they're law they're law and order they break up like the mafia you know, or um, human trafficking rings or drug rings or financial crimes, you know, people ripping off seniors or whatever. And they, it seems like this incentive system is really goes against the idea that they're, the FBI is just pursuing crimes as they happen or as they surface, you know, it's just kind of disturbing. Yes, it is very disturbing. And of course, we know because we've talked to people what they've been subjected to with these FBI raids. But these men are so courageous because they've really lost it all. Um, And to watch the Democrats, their disgusting display today, although there was a funny moment when this lunatic representative Sanchez, it's not Linda, is that her sister? I don't know. She's a person. Real dingbat, though. So she confronts. Marcus Allen, um, that's one of the whistleblowers names and starts reading off. Um, it's Linda Sanchez, Marcus Allen. I mean, you know, it's not, you know, it's like a John Kelly, like it's not an uncommon name. So this moron starts. (laughs) (laughs) Some staffers probably fired. (laughs) Oh, hell no. There's no standards in the democratic party. They don't care. Um, so she starts reading out these posts for, and he's like, um, oh, ma'am, that's not my Twitter account. And she's like, well, I don't really care. Do you agree with this tweet or not? And he's like, I haven't even seen the tweet. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, this is the level of 
of he kept going that's not me she goes are you marcus 0286 <laughs> and she's like no <laughs> and she's like well this tweet says nancy pelosi was responsible for january 6 do you agree with that and he's like ma'am that's not my tweet <laughs> it was really funny um i thought another highlight of that hearing was when they started to go do you know cash patel <laughs> it was like right and then they were asking all of the all of the uh witnesses do you do you know cash patel do you have anything to do with them i get cash runs like a charity right i mean he he does like a, yes he's given money to january 6 fam families and apparently he's donated to these now destitute men um the one O'Boyle who's basically homeless um, to help them he out. He like broke down. I mean, it was he so, did. oh, it's just heartbreaking. And these are, these are veterans. These are Iraq, Afghanistan war veterans and police officers and FBI. Like they've seen it all and been through it all. And to see him sort of break down and have to stop and compose himself telling the story about how they transferred his family to Virginia with a newborn and then, you know, just almost forced them on the street, couldn't get any of their their possessions, their belongings to torment him. Uh, this is the, you know, I've used this term before and I'll use it again. This is the sadistic nature of the people who hold the most powerful law enforcement positions in the country. They are gratified by inflicting pain on people. And that's a real problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it 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 was really hard not to listen to O'Boyle talk about a situation and not really feel bad for them. And and in their opening remarks, you know, they they did kind of talk about what had gotten them to where they are. You know, things that they um I think it was Marcus Allen who was the one talking about the SWAT. If yes, the the problems with SWAT. So, I've mentioned this before on this podcast and I'm going to say it again. Um a SWAT, a SWAT team, it, it, it's a very dangerous situation when you got to send a SWAT team in. Yeah. It's not just dangerous for the person getting the SWAT team visit. It's dangerous for the SWAT team because neither person, they, the, the SWAT team has no idea what they're going to, what they're going to conf be confronted with. And it's, a, there's a lot of adrenaline going on. And also for the person who doesn't expect it, they just think they could think someone's breaking into their house, that they're shooting, that they have a firearm and they're shooting, you know, an intruder. You just don't know. So the whole thing is just very dangerous. And so his point was, why are you sending SWAT teams in to people who could voluntarily turn themselves over? And he, right. he was a SWAT. I think he was on this part of the SWAT team because so he's really putting himself at risk, right? He's, he, I mean, it wasn't, He's not wrong to say, look, if someone can voluntarily turn themselves over, especially because these people were not they weren't hardened, violent criminals. It's not like they were going to arrest someone in MS-13 or someone that has, you know, a ser or serial killer or something like that. These are people that don't really have a, they don't have a criminal record and certainly not a violent criminal record. And in many cases, I'm sure these people weren't even accused of violence to begin with. So to send a SWAT team in, that's really a, you know, that's a real dangerous thing. And so he complained about that. And I think that's a fair, I think that that's a fair complaint. That was one of the things that he had said that they were kind of making new rules for these J6ers, you know. Um, they absolutely were. They are. And, and at I mean, the expense I, of the FBI agent's safety should be uh, the SWAT team's safety, too. I mean, I've seen videos from some of these raids, including raids at like 536 a.m. when it's still dark. And it's terrifying what they do to the people inside. And even if you were eventually charged with assaulting a police officer, that's still not how the FBI and local law enforcement conducts itself. Right. So to show up with armed vehicles, a battering ram, dozens of armed agents, a bullhorn, one January 6th defendant told me that they had snipers on the roofs of nearby properties as they were calling this defendant out of his home. Like, so he's absolutely right. These are highly dangerous situations, unnecessarily created for theatrics. 
to terrorize not just the defendants, but their entire neighborhood and say, see what happens if you protest the regime? See what happens if you're involved in a pro- this is what this is what will happen to you. I'm surprised there hasn't been more like accidents during these uh, sort of unnecessary um, these SWAT raids, because like I said, it's just full of adrenaline. People are terrified. I mean, that bimbo, I don't remember which one Democrat mentioned today about uh, what's her name, who they busted in in Kentucky, Brianna Taylor. You know, right. they busted in the door to her and what then and one of the people got shot because Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend didn't know you know what I mean they thought they were I'm not making excuses for them but they thought they were getting broken into they thought someone was breaking in and they were kicked in the door so they didn't know so one of the SWAT people got shot there and then of course Brianna Taylor got shot and killed I mean again I don't I'm not speaking, I'm not saying that's a situation where they would have voluntarily turned themselves over. I'm using it as an example. Say this is a very dangerous position. Also, you have bystanders, right? I mean, they go to someone's house. Right. You have bystanders could actually get shot. You have kids that could get shot. Children. I mean, it's just children. It's just really, you want to think that they're thinking of these things. And it looked like the rules are being put aside to make some kind of impact, to make a political statement, to really um, not just intimidate the people, but to make an intimidation of everybody. Like, oh, do you you want to go to a school board meeting or what? You know, you want to go do this? We're we're tracking you. Um, and that was another thing that was brought up by one of the whistleblowers that he was taken off like the pedophile beat to go take license plate numbers down at a at a school board meeting for people who went to school boards meetings to say, I don't like what you're teaching. Um, you know, which before January 6th, I don't remember this, that being particularly controversial. Right. Um, no. And so look what, again, this week though, is more evidence that the FBI is not fixable because this goes down to every field office, except for some of these brave whistleblowers. Um, this is emanating out of the Washington field office, which was cited again in both reports, Durham and um, this report from House Weaponization Committee. That is just like the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, which we'll get to in a minute. The Washington field office should be completely shut down. It does nothing but act as the Gestapo of the Democratic Party. There's nothing salvageable there. And who is running the Washington field office when they were sending armed agents to Mar-a-Lago or they were directing field offices how to investigate, say, Boston, like we heard from George Hill. Everything bad came out of that. And who was running it? Stephen D'Antuano, who was promoted after running the Whitmer Fednapping hoax in Detroit and Michigan in 2020, promoted to take over Washington field office. And he's the guy whose office obviously was on the ground on January 6th. They were collecting intelligence, doing nothing with it, running informants or overseeing informants, and then leading this abusive, you know, um, FBI, these raids against uh, against the American people, American citizens. So we're still waiting for his testimony, Liz. I don't know where that guy is. Oh, I do know where he is. He got he left a couple weeks. He resigned from Washington field office a few weeks after the Republicans took control of the house and got a big gig at KPMG, a top, one of the top four accounting firms. Not bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Just the the whole, the whole hearing today was interesting, but very depressing. Um, The Democrats basically their tactic was just to say that these aren't whistleblowers and that they're January 6th sympathizers. Um, but, you know, the Democrats are completely in favor of um, big government and thuggery, and they love the FBI law enforcement. You know, I can't remember who is that ranking member, Plinkett? Plaskett. Pl- Plaskett, who Plaskett. I just, for the record, has taken a lot, took a lot of money from um, Epstein. Just oh, nice. Well, that she out represents there. the Virgin Islands. Does she even have a vote? No, no, she doesn't. Uh, oh, she does not. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, maybe the Virgin Islands, like Epstein Island, is in that district or whatever. I'm just, I'm just guessing. 
Um, but you know, she was saying about how, you know, it was, it's police week and how they were, you know, supporting voting to support the police. And it's the Democrats that have been defunding the police for two years, but not the F, not the feds, you know, not the feds. Uh, so I just thought it's such, so interesting to be in a time where the left used to have a lot of suspicion for the government, for the federal law enforcement for the intelligence community. And now they're just on board, but that's because they control it, which shows you that, that again, they're not, there's no principle here. There's no, there, there's not principles. Remember we heard about how awesome whistleblowers were when it was Eric Charmella, mm-hmm. right. Who was the hearsay whistleblower um, for Trump's call to Ukraine. And it wasn't Eric Charmella who um, uh, heard the call. He was told about the call by um Lieutenant Commander Lieutenant, Jelly Donut. Um, Lieutenant Colonel, get it Lieutenant, correct. Lieutenant Colonel Jelly Donut, Andrew Vinman, <laughs> who was mistakenly referred to today as a whistleblower. He was not the whistleblower. But we were just told that a whistleblower is like, like next to Jesus. Like he sits That's at right. the right hand of Jesus, right? That's how Eric Charmella was um, treated. And they, of course, rewrote the laws about what the requirements for being a whistleblower you have to have firsthand knowledge of something and eric charmella did not he was told by uh vindman about this call and they changed the rules just to let him be a whistleblower and then they talked about how important and awesome whistleblowers are so again there's you couldn't even tweet his name remember if you tweeted we weren't allowed to tweet his name you were yes you had to delete the tweet i remember when molly said it on fox and like oh. you weren't even allowed to say it on Fox. Remember when Molly That's... said it on Fox News? Everyone was like, oh, she said the name. Everybody knew they, the name. But didn't they take her off air for a couple of weeks? I think they she think might have gotten punished for that. Out. I don't know. But yeah. Um, it was a big secret. But the 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 difference in the way the whistleblowers are are treated, and that's because the Democrats don't have any principles. They don't care if the FBI is breaking rules as long as the FBI is doing what the left wants, which is of course what they want because they want they think January 6th is going to be a 2024 campaign issue and they're just going to say maga a lot you know maga 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 i wonder how they're going to work that if desantis gets the nomination i'm not saying he will i'm just saying like what are they going to how are they going to pivot oh, they'll make something they, even worse yeah that's true yes um but they'll they'll figure out a way. But anyway, this the whole thing is political. It's very, very, um, very upsetting to watch this hearing. And just like the Durham report, you know, all of this stuff, just really the most perverted exploitation of the laws that we agreed to because we relied and told that it was going to keep us safe from foreign attacks and foreign interference. And it's just being used against the American citizenry. It's just and nothing's going to happen to any of these people, all of whom we know are crimes. And of course, after the Durham report came out, the FBI tweeted out some statement saying, you know, all those people are fired and we've made some adjustments and we put in new guardrails. Nobody believes that shit. I mean, (laughs) nobody believes any of that. None of it. No, absolutely not. And um, but this week, Marjorie Taylor Greene um issued a um, resolution to impeach Christopher Ray, Merrick Garland, the attorney general and DC U.S. attorney Matthew Graves, which she told him to his face during yeah, the House Oversight Committee on Tuesday. A pretty overall disappointing performance by Republicans at that hearing. Yeah. MTG and Andy Biggs were the only ones to confront Graves on this prosecution. Of course, he is responsible for all of the January 6th um, uh, cases, charges, and then prosecutions. Got over almost 1,100 people charged so far. That caseload, that number is going to double, he says. Um, But Republicans, for the most part, aside from condemning his 67% declination rate, meaning he declines to charge about two-thirds of the cases that local police bring him in D.C., um, they really, they didn't really lay a glove on him. It was very disappointing to see. Yeah, I mean, D.C. is basically like a hellscape, too. It's not like everything's fine in D.C. and there's just nothing else to do. So it's like, hey, I'm just going to go after the J6ers. No, no, no. There's lots of problems in D.C. (laughs) 
DC is just a really fucking, it's a horrible hellscape. And not that a couple months ago, a congresswoman got attacked in her apartment building by someone who had been arrested 11 times um, previously. So, and that's just one example. There's a lot of problems here. There's a huge homeless problem here. And when they're homeless people, there's people that have mental illness and some of them are violent. I mean, there's a carjacking problem, a huge carjacking problem. Huge, massive. Um, yeah. There's just, there's a lot of problems going on in DC. And the idea that he's not bringing charges. I mean, look, 11 times that you're arrested. I mean, at what point is someone say like, you're a menace to civil society. You know, people who live in DC, even though they're all libs, and, you know, they they voted for this, really. I mean, they, they this is what they vote for. You know, people people have a right to live in peace. And that's the job of the prosecutors and law enforcement in their in their towns is to keep the peace. So when you've got someone who's been arrested 11 times, what when when isn't that enough? Right. When is that over? Like, when have we gotten enough? And we don't well, have to do that. I mean, anymore. You have to, but you have to keep the jails cleared for, you know, the Mimas who took selfies in the Capitol 28 months ago. So, you know, there's only so much space in the DC department of corrections. Um, it oh, was nice terrible. though to see uh, representative Kelly Armstrong. I think he's North Dakota um, swoon actually over Matthew Graves and actually offered asked him if he needed more money to hire more prosecutors <laughs> and how how could he help Matthew Graves it was really a touching moment Liz really touching between oh, Republican congressman and uh, Biden appointed rabid partisan Matthew Graves it was it was lovely that is sweet um what, what do we do with these people so that's an uphill battle for Marjorie Taylor Greene as she attempts to impeaching Ray should be a no brainer. They should schedule those impeachment hearings immediately because that will force him and everyone else will have to produce documents. He won't. I mean, he'll try to tap dance out of things, but have more witnesses like these whistleblowers have these defendants, people who have been targeted by the FBI, have these people explain their stories to the American people. That's the only way they'll get any traction to defund or dismantle uh, this this agency, this police, you know, police force for the Democrats. That's what it is. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I think that we do need to hear more stories um, about that. That's what's really co- will move move the public. I think it's yeah. just hearing individual stories from 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 these victims. Um, another there was like another fun thing in the hearing that I wanted to mention now I forgot it because I'm old and I just don't remember anything anymore but there was like a funny thing that happened in the hearing and I just totally don't remember um yeah not funny thing but notable thing so when I said funny I meant notable um apparently uh it wasn't Marcus Allen now oh it was Stephen Friend he did not want his interview with the Republicans to be shared with the Democrats because the Democrats, as soon as they get this information, they immediately launch a campaign to trash the whistleblower. Mm-hmm. And they had already done that to um, O'Boyle and Marcus Allen. And so Stephen Friend did not want the Democrats to have a copy of his interview. So there was like a big hubbub about that in the hearing about whether um, they were bitching that they didn't get a copy of his interview. And <laughs> Jordan was like, yeah, he doesn't want you to have it because you use it to smear people. Um, and that's what they do because they love whistleblowers so much. So that kept happening, um, going back and forth about that. As usual, it was just really like a clown show, like so many of these hearings are. Um, and of course, you know, what's going to happen, right? We've had this hearing now. These men, I guess, sort of talked about what they've been through and why they became whistleblowers. And now what? Dot, dot, dot. Right. Like what's going to happen? Well, my fear is they can't just come forward with a legislative package to band-aid the FBI or Department of Justice or whistleblower protections. That's not going to cut it. Right. They need to severely cut funding. They need to shutter the Washington field office. They definitely need to scuttle any plans to build 
a new FBI headquarters that would be bigger than the Pentagon, apparently, um, there's no fixing it. So legislative proposal package is not is not going to fly. Um, if you're creating this sort of momentum, then you need to hold people accountable and back to the frustration about the Durham report. You know, no one was held accountable. Michael Sussman got off because, of course, you're trying, you know, Democrats in a Democrat city before D.C. Democrat juries. So uh, to Durham's point, he said it's severe disadvantage trying to prosecute any of these perpetrators, although I will argue they probably would have gotten a fair shake with Comey because I think Democrats still hold a grudge against Comey for the Hillary Clinton coming out right yeah. before the election, saying they were reopening the investigation. So they might have actually gotten some convictions on him. But nonetheless, you know, Durham is 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 empty handed. And that's we need some satisfaction on this side. And they do have the tools, power of the purse, power of the pulpit, impeachment. The, that's the way that they can make these people pay, because there's really no difference between Chris Ray and Jim Comey. Ray, in many ways, is worse. So, oh, oh yeah, that's the only way um, to 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 finally punish the people and the agencies responsible for what they're doing to the American people. Will they do it? I mean, I know you and I don't have a lot of confidence that they will. They're not. No, they're not. I mean, they basically need to threaten the funding. They need to cut, forget the new building that they're getting that new fancy country club. No, immediately. No. And you know, there needs to be a serious appropriation effort where these agencies need to be accountable to their over to oversight and when they don't cooperate there needs to be a consequence and they have no reason to cooperate and they have no reason to change their behavior because nobody is charged criminally and they keep getting funded with it's like rubber stamped so our congress is weak and they're not going to cut it they're not going to they're not going to do any of that so that's just terribly depressing um so before we go on that note (laughs) Um, we didn't talk about one of the greatest crises that we've seen, publicity crises that we've had here in America, in my memory, which is that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were on a high-speed two-hour chase in <laughs> New York City, and uh, um, you know, right near after fatal. near fatal, near fatal said. in New York City because. There's any place you're going to have a high speed automotive automobile chase. It's going to be in downtown Manhattan. Um, For sure. So uh, this was so beyond absurd. I mean, these people are just so desperate. I hate them. I really do. I <laughs> I don't you know, I, I don't have any like allegiance to the monarchy. I don't you know, I I, I just I don't care either way. Um, but I have to say, I really hate, despise these two little fame whores. And the latest is, I guess there's like a snit between Harry and the security that that King, I don't like King Charles at all or fuck him. I did like his mother. I love Queen Elizabeth, though, because she was just awesome. But yeah, I don't like Charles at all. But I guess they don't want to pay. I mean, Charles is trying to shave down the monarchy. I mean, it's very expensive. It's very decadent obviously, but it's expensive. They have all these basically leches, right? That just were born into, you know, a great patronage and, you know, Harry and Meghan tapped out of the monarchy. And I guess they think they're entitled to have the Buckingham palace pay for their security. There's some like tiff about the security that they're entitled to or whatever. So now all of a sudden there's this like near fatal, almost Diana esque, right? Like Diana esque, right. right. Car chase. They needed in some Manhattan, attention. Which is basically gridlock. I mean, how the fuck can you possibly have a car chase in New York? <laughs> makes no sense. Yeah. And even the police in New York were like, yeah, that didn't happen. They came out pretty quick. Or Eric Adams came out and said, I'm not aware of anything. I don't think that can happen. Um, <laughs> and then it just disappeared from the headlines. And now we're just it's not just gone. hearing. We're not hearing a lot about it. Although we are hearing people are continuing to make fun of it. As they should. As they should. So well deserved. Just be thankful that you aren't in a high speed car chase in downtown Manhattan. Um, so anyway, that's that went by super fast. It always does. But um, we'll be Julie. Are we going to be here next week? We are. 
we are. I'm I'm going to be in town. Last week I we weren't here because Julie was here, and I got to spend time with Julie, which is like my favorite thing to do. Yeah, so I was so, so happy. So your loss was my gain, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> and mine as well. And we had a blast. And yeah. um, but we will be here next week. So thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.